welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sermon by Doug Wilson on September 12th, Lord's Day service. text this morning is from Luke chapter 12, verse 32. These are the words of God. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Father, we we ask that your spirit would be present here with us this morning. I pray that our hearts would be as open as our Bibles are. I pray that you would work and move and, and apply this word, apply this encouragement to us and to our families. I pray that we'd go from this place knowing and understanding what it is precisely that you would have us do. Father, I pray that you would hear our request now because we offer it up in the strong name of Jesus. And amen. Before turning to the word, I want to thank uh, the elders here for the kind invitation to address you. It's, um, It's a great privilege. I'm very happy to be here with you, and I bring you greetings from... Uh, Christ Church in Moscow, Idaho. I want you to know, you um, might not be aware of it, but your work, what the Lord is doing here, is spoken of frequently in Moscow. Like, have you heard what's happening down there? Um, it's kind of amazing, and uh, we just give glory to God. It's wonderful to see people coming into membership that make you, the people coming up, it makes you think of a great Asian land migration, you know, <laughs> for the new members, and then, oh, whoa. This, this is not, we, we are not living in ordinary times. We are not living in ordinary times. And it is fortunate that we serve a God who manifests his glory in extraordinary times. So I want us to consider what this passage has to say to us in this, uh, in this period of time that we're confronting. Our attitude toward the future reveals, as few other things do, our actual doctrine of God. What is our actual doctrine of God? You might have uh, a Calvinist doctrine of God on paper and a very uh, semi-Pelagian doctrine of God in your worries, in in your heart. Your actual doctrine of God is how you respond to what you think is coming tomorrow or next week or the week after. It is perilously easy to have our catechism truths down pat there on the paper, but then have the slightest threat of disturbance or turmoil or an ominous cloud unsettle everything for us. We can't sleep, it wrecks our appetite, and so our worries creep into all our conversations. This is a sin, and we have to learn how to mortify it. We have to learn how to put this particular sin of being worry-ridden, anxiety-ridden, to death. Jesus says to his disciples, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. This passage from Luke is unique to Luke, but it comes in the middle of some very familiar teaching. Immediately before this, we have a reprise of the Lord's teaching from the Sermon on the Mount, which we see in Matthew 5 through 7. Uh, So right before this, Jesus is touching on those things. Consider the ravens, God feeds them, Consider the lilies, 
God clothes them. So don't worry about what you're going to eat and drink and wear. And right before that, we find the parable of the rich man who thought he had it all under control. That's in Luke 12, 15 through 21. The warning is for those who are not rich toward God. A man's life does not consist of the abundance of the things that he owns because he might not own any of them tomorrow. Tomorrow, something might happen that takes all his goods away. Or something might happen that takes him away from all his goods. The, the two things are separable. So a man's life does not consist of the abundance of the things that he owns. That's in verse 15. Do not be of a doubtful mind, Jesus says in verse 29. The nations pursue all that stuff. They pursue all that stuff, and the Father knows what you need. In verse 30. Seek first the kingdom, Jesus says, and God will take care of you. Verse 31. And that's the run-up to this statement. Then the Lord says, Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. This is our text. Verse 32 is our text. Then right after this verse, he tells us to save up by giving away. Save up by giving away. Verse 33. The best way to hold on to the things of earth is with an open palm. If you want to hold on to the things of earth, the good things that God has given you here in, on this earth to enjoy, you're supposed to enjoy them. It says in 1 Timothy that God gives us all things to enjoy. But we, we need, in order to enjoy them, we have to hold them like this and not like this. If we hold them with an open palm, we are trusting God with the future. If we hold them like this, God can take them away from us just as easily. All right, if, it, does it make a difference to God how hard it is to take something away from us if we're holding it like this or like this? No, the only difference is broken fingers. <laughs> that's the only difference hold it like this God can take it away the Lord gives the Lord takes away blessed be the name of the Lord and you do, do it like this the Lord gives the Lord takes away blessed be the name of the Lord and you have to thank him for the broken fingers put your treasure where you want your heart to be and you save up by giving away there's a I don't think I have word perfect but there's a great line out of Bunyan there was, there was a man some thought him mad the more he gave the more he had there was a man, some thought him mad. The more he gave, the more he had. This is God's way of laying up. What's God's assigned way of laying up? As one Puritan put it, you lay, you lay up by laying out. You lay up by laying out. God wants his people to be open-handed people. Now, you can't be open-handed if your heart is all closed up because of anxiety. If your heart, when you're anxious, when you're worried... Everything cinches up. You just you want to clam up. So you want, in order to be open-handed, in order to be hospitable, in order to be generous, in order to flow outward, you can't really be anxious. So there are two kinds of worry. There are two kinds of worry, and I want to talk to you about the second kind. But understanding how to deal with the first kind is a prerequisite to dealing with the second kind. The first kind of worry has to do with your personal fortunes. The world is perceived to be operating normally out there, generating its normal ratio of winners and losers. Your worry has to do with whether or not you're going to wind up as one of the losers. All right, so the, the world's lottery is just continuing on. The odds are what they've always been in ordinary times. Some people come out on the top. Some people lose. Some people are in the middle. Um, so you, you don't want to be one of the losers. You hope against hope that you might be one of the, the Powerball winners, and you, 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 you're wanting to be, have that be where it is, but you'd settle for something in the middle, all right? 
But you think the world is just going on in its ordinary way. The, the world is generating its ordinary ratio of winners and losers. This is the kind of thing that the Lord was addressing directly when he told us not to worry about what we were going to eat or drink or wear. The world is manufacturing clothing. The, Lord, uh, the, the world is uh, growing food and processing food and having it for sale. And you're worried about whether you're going to get it, what you need. So the Lord tells us not to worry about what we're going to eat or drink or wear. These are personal concerns. These are household concerns. These are closet concerns. They're pantry concerns. They're kitchen, they're kitchen table concerns. Someone else has enough to eat, but what if I go hungry? What if I go bankrupt? What if I lose my job because of this vaccine mandate? What, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? The good thing about this is that at least it's obvious that your concern is about yourself. When you're worried in this way, you have multiple Bible verses bouncing off your forehead. Right? Be anxious for nothing. Right? The, the Bible direct, addresses this sort of thing directly. But the other kind of worry, the second kind of worry that I want to talk about, disguises itself as, quote-unquote, an interest in politics, or, quote-unquote, an awareness of geopolitical affairs. This kind of worry is called reading uh, your news feed on the internet. <laughs> they did what? They did what? They, oh no, not, yes, I guess they did. You see a bunch of people out there who appear to have lost their minds, bent on burning down the country, and a bunch of other people who appear to have lost their spines who are bent on not interfering with them as they do it. How, how did I lose my country in just two years? How, where, where did it go? What happened? Wait, uh, wait, why wasn't I informed? Why didn't somebody check with me? Now, now, I've been reading politics, following politics, following what people have been doing. I've been doing that for decades, and there's always somebody proposing something foolish. There's always somebody doing something foolish. But we have, uh, it's time to retire the jersey. We, we know that we can excel them all. So I want to treat this second kind of worry, the kind of worry that follows the news avidly, or maybe you didn't before, but now the news is following you avidly. And, and this kind of anxiety is worried about the political and cultural future. You're worried about the kind of world your kids are going to inherit. You're worried about what kind of issues your grandchildren are going to have to deal with. The base coat of sanctification for, this, for dealing with this kind of worry has to be dealing with the first kind of worry correctly, whether it's worry about cancer or slippery roads or financial ruin or how the kids are doing. That's the first kind. The first kind, you want to learn how to trust the Lord with your personal affairs. You want to uh, learn how to trust the Lord with safe travel, trusting the Lord with paying the bills, trusting the Lord with how your kids are going to handle, navigate third grade, all the things that, all the things that, are, that tempt you to, to lie awake at two in the morning mulling over in your mind. You want to learn to give these over to God. Well, how do you do that? Philippians 4.6 says, Be anxious for nothing. I wonder what it says in the Greek. Whenever the, Bible, whenever the Bible pins you, you should always ask for a Greek word study. 
Be anxious for nothing. It says the same thing in the Greek. <laughs> Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Casting, and then in 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Casting all your care upon God, because he cares for you, and be anxious for nothing. Now, I, I, I just want to touch on one aspect of this, because I want this to be the baseline for going on to deal with dealing with the second kind of worry, the worry about what's happening to your nation, your civilization, your culture, your people. In Philippians, it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, be, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You may have been, you may be acquainted with a phenomenon called worrying on your knees. You you have a worry and you get on your knees and you worry, 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 worry. In Jesus' name, Amen. <laughs> and you get up and nothing's different. Everything's the same. It all floods back in. Well, this is because we think that our um, hearts and minds, we've got, we feel like we've got to steal our hearts and minds, so that our hearts and minds somehow protect the peace of God that is this little guttering candle deep in our drafty home. All right, so we have a, a drafty home, and you have the little guttering candle that's about to go out. That's the peace of God, and you've got to somehow uh, block up the windows and close the draft. You've got to shield that guttering candle, the peace of God, with your resolve, with your willpower, with your hearts and minds. In Philippians, it's the other way around. In Philippians, it says, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. The peace of God is not the thing that needs protecting. The peace of God is the thing that protects. The peace of God is the shield. The peace of God is the armor. The peace of God is not the thing that you must, you must by your resolve, by your wisdom, by your insight, protect from being blown away. The peace of God is the thing that must go in front. The, the peace of God is the armored vehicle. And your hearts and minds are the things to be protected. You don't protect your helmet with your head. You don't protect your helmet with your head. You don't protect your breastplate with your chest. You don't, you don't protect your, body, your, your, your shield with your body. And this is why the, the scripture says, you do, you do this, be anxious for nothing. How? Everything by prayer and supplication, and then the key is, with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God will come in and do its work of protecting you. The peace of God. So what is it that we generally leave out of this? We know how to pray. We, prayer and supplication, we do that. We let our request be made known to God. We do that. Uh, but there's that little phrase, two-word phrase, with thanksgiving. You present your request to God. You say, this is what I'm concerned about. This is the weight I'm carrying. This is the problem I have. Might be health, might be finances, might be a wayward family member, might be, it could be any number of things. God, this is the thing that I'm tempted to stay up nights over. This is the thing. And you present it to him. Be anxious for nothing. You, and you want to do it being anxious for nothing. So what do you do? Well, you present it to God. You go get a contus. You go get it off the shelf, and you go out in the go some secluded place, go out in the garage, and sing a couple of psalms of thanksgiving, loud. And you say, but see, you don't understand something here. I don't want to sing a psalm of thanksgiving. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's your problem. 
but that's your problem. With thanksgiving, what you do is you present the request to God and then you thank Him. When you thank Him, when you pray and lay it all out before Him and thank Him, that thanking is the moment you're pushing the buckle into the seatbelt. That's the moment it clicks. That's where everything comes together, and that's when the peace of God is going to start protecting you. This is how you cast all your care on Him, because He cares for you. Now, if you're walking with God, turning your anxieties over to Him, uh, placing your worries on His shoulders this way on your, with regard to your personal concerns, then you're going to be in a position to pray and intercede and respond rightly when it comes to to the nation when it comes to the culture. Jeremiah says, hey, if you can't run with men, how are you going to run with horses? So if you, if you can't trust God for your own uh, heating bill, if you can't trust the Lord for this medical bill, if you can't trust the Lord for this medical affliction, how are you going to trust the Lord for Western civilization? How are you going to trust the Lord for the dying of the West if you aren't trusting God for the little things that concern you? Right? So, remember the text. Fear not, little flock. Fear not, little flock. Now, the Lord is aware, the Lord is aware of how imposing the church looks to the outside world. Which is to say, not very. We don't look imposing to the outside world. Nobody in the White House is saying, what are we going to do about the sermon that's preached at Trinity Reform this Sunday? We, we need a plan. They don't, they don't care. They don't care. They don't care. So, the Lord knows how we look to them. The Lord knows how we look to them. Not formidable. He calls us his little flock. He calls us his little flock. But what is he going to do for this little flock? He is going to give the kingdom to us. Fear not, little flock, for your father is giving you the kingdom. And he's going to do this because it is his good pleasure. God likes to do things this way. God loves underdog stories. He tells them all the time, all through scripture, underdog stories. God loves cliffhangers. God, lo- God loves to take his people right up to the limit. And sometimes we think it's the utter frozen limit, right Right up to the limit. And we say, I'm... God, why are you doing this to me? What did I do? What did I say? Did I do something wrong? Why are you doing... Why am I standing here on the banks of the Red Sea with water lapping at my toes, with a million other people, and Pharaoh's army is coming at us. Why? Why did you do this? And God says, so that I might be glorified. So that I might be glorified. So that nobody will ever make the mistake of thinking that the Israelites got out of Egypt through trickery or their own wisdom. Having the Red Sea part and marching through was not It was cheating, but it wasn't the Israelites cheating. God intervened, right? But God didn't say, an angel didn't come down to the Israelites five miles before they got to the Red Sea saying, hey, uh, a bulletin for everybody, just so you don't get worried. Uh, We're going to part the sea. It's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. No, he takes them right up to the edge of the shore, and Moses is standing there armed with his stick, And people are looking at Moses saying, so, Mr. Bright Ideas, (laughs) what 
God does this over and over and over again. Abraham takes Isaac up on the mountain. And then he has the knife in the air, about ready to slay Isaac in obedience to God. And God had promised him, not that he would have an heir, he had promised him that the seed was going to be reckoned through Isaac. So the New Testament tells us that Abraham was expecting to come down off the mountain with his son. He tells the servants that at the bottom, we are going to go up and worship and we will return to you. Uh, you have, so you have a basis for that in the, in the scriptural text. And the New Testament says in Hebrews that he was expecting to see Isaac raised from the dead. Rather, God intervened at the last moment, and thus it became a proverb in Israel. On the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. God is a believer in just-in-time delivery. Right? That's what he does. And, and we think, yes, but this time it looks like it's going to be just after the nick of time. Well, no, God has done this. Hundreds of times, God has delivered his people this way thousands of times. Fear not, little flock. Why? Because it's God's good pleasure to do it like this. If, if we say, God, this is just, you're, you're stumbling me. You're stumbling. No, I'm maturing you. I'm not stumbling you. I'm maturing you. I want you to grow up. I want you to stand up straight. I want you to trust me. But God, why do you have to do it this way? God says, because I like it this way. This is how I, it's a, this is what the Lord says to us. Don't you understand how good a story this is? Don't you understand the greatness of the story? Frodo and Sam crawling up the side of Mount Doom, ready, you know, and they have the struggle, and Gollum comes, and then uh, Gollum falls in the fire, and then they crawl out expecting to die, and then the eagles come, and whisk them away. I heard one comedian say, wait, we got eagles? <laughs> Why? Why didn't you fly them in? <laughs> what a lousy story that would have been. <laughs> fly over, drop it in, and then the hobbits went back and had breakfast. <laughs> it's a glorious story. The best stories don't feel like the best stories when you're in the middle of them. The, the greatest stories of deliverance don't feel like the great stories of deliverance ten minutes before the deliverance. It's God's good pleasure to do it like this. This is God's, this is God's MO. Nay, in Romans 8, 37-39, it says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, here it is, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, are you worried about the future? Are you worried about the future of our culture? Are you worried about the future of our nation? Are you worried about the future of your company? Are you worried about how your grandchildren are going to handle it? Look, you should be raising your children to be dragon fighters. And you can't be distressed if there are dragons. There are dragons. There are dragons in the land. There are giants to be overcome. God wants us. God fitted us for this time. God assigned us this moment. And this is why when we say we're more than conquerors through him, this is not just spiritual talk. 
to get you from Sunday school into heaven. This is when you're confronted with death, life, angels, principalities, powers, things present, nor things to come, height, depth, any other creature, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's another one. In 1 Corinthians 3, 21 through 23, Paul says, Therefore, let no man glory in men, for all things are yours, little flock. That's not in the Corinthians passage, but let me remind. All things are yours, little flock. Whether Paul, or Apollos, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come, all are yours. All are yours. And ye are Christ's, and Christ is God. Christ is God's. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. I hope you can't hear those words out of Revelation without singing them to Handel's music. And the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. All things present, things to come, all are yours. Who owns Alabama? The Lord Jesus Christ. He owns it. He purchased it. He purchased it with his blood. Do you think he's going to leave it on the counter and go home without it? <laughs> he bought it. It's and, and you are his body. This means that you are Christ's. Christ is God's. Everything present, everything in the future, it's all yours. This is what it looks like as he gives us the kingdom. So there's two things to consider in all of this. Two things to consider in all of this. The first is the protection that God promises his people. We have nothing to worry about from external threats because we are more than conquerors. Nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. One of the emphases here is the fact that we are protected against all those things that might come after us in order to separate us from the love of God in Christ. We are protected in the event of an unsuccessful attack, whether from death or life or celestial powers or anything else going on around us or anything in the future. All right? You're, you're protected from vaccine mandates. You're protected from two vaccine mandates. <laughs> you can't. How about 70 times 7? Yeah, 70 times 7. You are protected. In fact, the end result of us being able to fight off all of these is that we conquer. We are more than conquerors. But it's not enough that the world is not going to be able to own us. It's not enough that the world will be unable to digest us. Blessed are the meek, Jesus taught us, for they will inherit the earth. Now, you need to understand that it's important that we have the kind of faith that will, that will take us to heaven when we die. We, we want to have the kind of faith that when someone's preaching your funeral, they can announce with confidence because of their trust in Christ that you are now with the Lord, you're in heaven. We go to heaven when we die. But that's not what the promise, the, that's not the promise given to the meek. It's not, blessed are the meek, for they will go to heaven when they die. It's blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And this is God's bumpy and tumultuous way of getting us to inherit the earth. God wants us to go through many travails, many tribulations, many difficulties, and then the secular opposition collapses. How many times 
have the persecutors done what they did over the course of years and decades, Colosseums, Christians to lions, and they just kept throwing Christians to the lions until Rome collapsed. That's how it works. That's how it works. So, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Fear not, little flock, and remember what the Father's good pleasure is. What his good pleasure actually is. Not only will the world not be able to own us, it will actually be a turnabout case. We own the world. All things are yours, whether the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come. Christians need, not with, not with the, uh, a carnal swagger, but with a holy and a humble swagger, we need to walk into our communities and towns like we own the place. Because we do. Because Christ owns the place, and we are his bride. We belong to him. We are his body. Christ owns it all. We own the world. All things are yours. Yes, secular man wants to gather up everything in his arms. He wants to claim all of it. Yes, their hostility toward the church needs very little prompting to be fully manifested. But when they attack the heavens, the only thing they will succeed in doing is dragging deep heaven down upon their own heads. In the long run, unbelief is simply spiritual stupidity. And spiritual stupidity is not a long-term strategy. It doesn't work. God is, God is the governor of all. God providentially oversees all things. And you, you cannot wrest control of this cosmos out of his hands. It's not possible. So, it says in Psalm 7, 14 and 15, Behold, he travaileth with iniquity, and hath conceived mischief, and brought forth falsehood. He made a pit, and digged it, and, and is fallen into the ditch which he made. This is what happens to the wicked over and over and over. Haman is hanged on his own gallows. Haman is hanged on his own gallows. And his wife saw it coming. She was right there at the pivot point in the story. And she said, oh, uh, reversal. <laughs> pivot point. She knew she was a good literary critic. They want immortality through science. They really do. They want to live forever through science. But what they're going to get is the Christian faith everywhere. They want the singularity. But what they're going to get is Jesus Christ. The singularity, for those not up on these uh, things, is they, they want the time when all the uh, uh, computers and the internet and all these devices achieve consciousness. They all come together and achieve consciousness in the singularity, and your refrigerator and your coffee, coffee maker become part of God. And they say, I just can't buy this Christianity of yours because it's too far-fetched. <laughs> they want the singularity, but what they're going to get is Jesus Christ. They want to be lords of the earth. They want to be lords of the earth. But what they're going to get is a praising of the Lord from the rising of the sun to the going down of the sun. Why? Well, because Jesus Christ was crucified. Jesus Christ was crucified. And why was Jesus Christ crucified. Jesus Christ was crucified in order to destroy the devil. If the rulers of this world had known what they were doing, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. 
They wouldn't have done it. They wouldn't have inspired the crowds to, to be yelling and screaming, crucify him, crucify him. They wouldn't have done it. God loves to draw straight with crooked lines. God loves to pull, God loves to do these reversals. This is the moment, what, what was the worst crime ever committed? It was the execution of the Son of God. It was the railroaded execution of Jesus Christ, the only perfect man who ever lived, was run through this kangaroo trial in the middle of the night. That was humanity at its worst on our side, and that was humanity at its best on the Lord's side. And when the best met the worst, the worst murdered the best. And in that moment, proved that the best was smarter than the worst. Not only was the best more humble, more self-sacrificial than the worst, but the best is wiser than the worst. The best is smarter than the worst. The best is three steps ahead of the worst. Why? Because the devil inspired a crowd to yell for the blood of the man whose blood would save my soul. And that was not the devil's intention. The devil didn't want to save me. The devil didn't want to save you. But the devil was an instrument in the hand of God that God used to bring about forgiveness of sin for you. Because God is wiser than the devil, God is stronger than the devil, and his wisdom is not a carnal wisdom. Christ was crucified. Why? Because he was also buried. Why, uh, why, why is Christ a conqueror? Because he was crucified. Why is Christ a conqueror? Because he was buried. Why is Christ a conqueror? Because he rose from the dead. And why? Because he is enthroned at the right hand of God the Father and is from that place busily engaged in giving us the kingdom. Fear not, little flock. It's the Father's good pleasure for me to do something for you. And what I want to do for you is give you the kingdom. And there's certain things that I'm going to give you along the way. I'm going to give you individual forgiveness. I'm going to cleanse. I'm going to straighten your life out. I'm going to, I'm going to straighten out your family. I'm going to give you joy and purpose. And I'm going to, I'm going to bless you in all sorts of ways. But ultimately, my, my goal is to give you the kingdom. And you say, but you, you start to protest. But I don't deserve... I don't deserve any of this. Right. Welcome to evangelical Christianity. <laughs> of course we don't deserve it. That's the point. We don't deserve any of it. Not only do we not not only did we not earn this, but we actively demerited it. We were in rebellion against it. We didn't want to have anything to do with it. And God overcame our reluctance. He overcame our rebellion. He overcame our hostility while we were still enemies. Christ died for us. And so here it is. This is the thing I want to leave with you. There is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in you. There is more perfection in Christ than there is frailty in you. There is more grace in Christ than there is unbelief in you. He's got, he, his death is sufficient you take up all the sins, all the pettiness, all the difficulties, all the snarls, all the blind spots. Gather, let's gather them all up. Put them in a big pile and say, is Christ sufficient to deal with that? Yes, more than sufficient. And we are more than conquerors. He is more, more than a sufficient Savior. He doesn't just squeak it across the line. Jesus Christ saves us to the uttermost. Jesus Christ saves us to the uttermost. Here you are, you, you're a little flock. And you were, a year ago, a littler flock. And what's God doing? He's giving you the kingdom. 
He's giving you the kingdom, and he's giving the kingdom to everyone who trusts in him. So, believe in Christ, trust Christ, love Christ, follow Christ. You're Christians. That's what, it's all, that, that's what it is. Follow him. He knows what he's doing. When he takes you to the banks of the Red Sea, when he takes you up on the mountain, when he takes you into difficulties, when he takes you into uh, the place where there are habitations of dragons, he knows what he's doing. Fear not, little flock. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Father, our gracious God, we thank you for your kindness to us. We pray that as you uh, minister to this body of saints here, I pray that you would pour out your spirit in, in many wonderful ways. I pray you'd strengthen, encourage, admonish, exhort. I pray that you'd do all the wonderful things that you do. I pray that the fruit of the spirit would be abundant and would rest, would, would grow abundantly in this congregation. I pray for your blessing here and now, in the name of Jesus, in the strong name of Jesus, and amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. Oh, yeah.